turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 1 and to Zechariah's song. This is the text for our homily this morning, so I encourage you to open up in your scriptures and leave it on your lap. Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. I want you to imagine that you have just moved to a new European city and you live and work in the city center and you walk to work. Perhaps it's Paris or Milan or Madrid or London. And this city has a world-class stone cathedral, the likes of which you had never seen before. It's an architectural and aesthetic masterpiece that elicits a transcendence and an awe. And so as you walk to work those first days passing the cathedral, you're awestruck by its sheer size, its towering spires, the hand-carved stonework all around, the flying buttresses that, that hold up the walls, the exquisite stained glass. And each day you walk through its enormous shadow, so large that it casts a shadow over portions of the city, and you walk through that shadow and you feel as if it were a personal presence. And several times during those days you you sneak inside and you sit thoughtfully and you stare at the intricate people and stories that are arrayed in the hues of the stained glass throughout the cathedral. And you can't comprehend how a thousand years ago, stonemasons cut stone by hand and built the magnificent cathedral vaulted arches and made them stand as they do. And yet something happens a little bit day by day and week by week. Rarely do you look up in wonder any longer. You see, the magnificent and the transcendent has become commonplace and regular. And so after a while, this this thing that you were dumbfounded by and which you used to try to describe to your friends and family who had never seen it, you hardly think about it and you speak to them no more about it. 
You see, familiarity with great things will do that to us in any area of life. To quote another author and to make some small changes of paraphrase in his words, sadly, many of us are no longer gripped by the stunning magnificence of the events and truths of the birth of Jesus. Many of us are no longer gripped by the wonder as we consider what this story tells us about the character and the plans of God for us. Many of us are no longer humbled by what the incarnation tells us about ourselves. So we walk by the cathedral of the incarnation, but we don't see the rose window of grace anymore. Our eyes have grown lazy and our hearts have grown cold. I wonder if that describes many of us who are here this morning. Well, the text that we have before us described as it is in this prophecy of Zechariah might well be in my own terms called a Christmas hymn of praise written by the Holy Spirit. It's a cathedral of the kindness of God to us in the incarnation of Christ that is meant to tower over us again and cast a city, cast a shadow over the city of our lives. A gospel cathedral that stuns with its beauty, its power, its awesome origins, its size, the shadow over the whole of our life. With the brief minutes that we have in our text this morning, I want you to see three marvels of this cathedral of Christ's birth. First, as we grasp the gospel with Zechariah, we're awakened to the praise of God with thanksgiving. Awakened to the praise of God with thanksgiving. Notice how Dr. Luke tells us that Zechariah prophesied while filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the first words of the Holy Spirit's prompting have come to be known to us as the Benedictus, which is the Latin translation of the first word. Blessed be the Lord of Israel. No sooner than Zechariah's muteness has been relieved than does he begin with praise and thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 68 and verse 78. Both of those verses, Zechariah uses the word visit. It's a word in the Old Testament that is rich with connotations. God's Old Testament people were intently waiting and looking for the visitation of God. It had deep messianic connections. Now notice in verse 68, it's in the language of what we call the prophetic perfect as if something that had not yet happened has already happened, the birth of Jesus. For he has visited and redeemed his people. Look at verse 78. It's in the future sense, as when the sunrise will visit us from on high. Now the Greek root word of the word that is used here in its noun form is episkope from which we take our English word bishop or elder or Episcopal church. Now this word episcope has the sense of visitation. You see, a bishop is to visit their people, particularly so in their time of need. 
Now, Dr. R.C. Sproul has a wonderful insight here. He says this, Zechariah, through the Spirit, understands in these events, the birth of his son and the announcement of Jesus' birth, that God is literally bishoping his people. God is visiting his people. And that's why the word is used. He's visiting savingly and transformingly. And so the greatest and most ancient of God's promises is being fulfilled. The deepest longing of all of God's people, our deliverance, that is coming to pass. But what did it produce for Zechariah? An earnest praise to God for his faithfulness in bringing about all that he had promised. Now here's a key application for us. We who live in the age of the fullness of Jesus Christ and of the indwelling of Christ's spirit, we like Zechariah are to be marked by a joyful praise. We are to be the singers of this phrase that Zechariah used. Blessed be God who has visited his people. Now, dear ones, if you have yet to pick up a hymnal this morning, if you have yet to hold your bulletin in hand and raise your voice and raise your soul to God, you have missed it. We are to be with Zechariah, the singers of the praises of God, to join with these beautiful voices and these souls that together with one heart and one voice, God's praise is lifted to the one who is worthy. As it was with Zechariah in the coming of Christ, this gift of our Savior is meant to remove our unbelief and to unmute our soul and unmute our voices that God would receive the honor that he is due. Well, the second thing as we grasp the gospel with Zechariah that we want to see is that we will, with Zechariah, make much of the promises of God to us. You see, Zechariah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, uses Old Testament promissory covenant language. In other words, the language of God in the Old Testament where he promises all of the blessings that are to come in his Son. I want you to think of it this way. This is the Holy Spirit's testimony about the triune God's faithfulness to all that he had promised. Now, don't we love it when someone makes an extraordinary promise to us and then they keep it? It makes us delightfully glad. One of the greatest things that I experience as a pastor is a husband and wife who made a promise to one another 50, 60 in the rare occasions, maybe even 70 years ago, and one of them lays the other to rest in the fulfillment of a promise that they had made so long ago. You see, God has done this, and the announcement is being made. Look at the language of some of these verses. Verse 68, for he has redeemed his people. Our word redemption recalls the language of the Exodus where God draws his people out of slavery in Egypt and brings them under the bondage of his own freedom. The language of verse 69 and 70, salvation has come through the house of David. 
as he spoke by the holy prophets of old. This is the language that as God had promised that there would always be one to sit on the throne of David through the prophets of old. Now that one has come. Look at the language of verse 72 and 73. That he has remembered his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham. The mercy he promised to our fathers. Now I hope that you, that it occurs to you that all throughout the scriptures we are exhorted to remember the things that God has done for us, to remember his promises. But notice here that in this prophecy, Zechariah is saying that God has remembered what he has promised. And that is far more important, that God should never forget the word that he has spoken to us. His word is always true, and God is always true to his word. Now, you see, our Old Testament ancestors in the faith, they put great stock and great hope in the promises of God. And so I ask you this morning, do you? Do you bank your life? Do you shipwreck your life on the promises of God to you? They longed for the Messiah's coming, and they built their lives around the word of his promise. You need only think of Anna and Simeon in chapter 2 of Luke and to see their excitement and their joy, their ecstasy that God's promise is finally here. And so do you make much of the promises of God which have been kept for you and therefore they have transformed your very Dear ones, let us ask the Holy Spirit to foster in each of us a deeper and deeper longing for the promises of Christ. And here's the best way, perhaps, to ask that. As these Old Testament saints looked forward to the first coming of Jesus, do you look forward to the next coming of Jesus? You see, there will be a Christmas 2.0. And it will have all of its improvements, if I might say it that way, over the first version. The baby has grown. The king of kings is on his throne. He rules over all and he is coming again to finish what he's begun. May we have the longing for the triumphant return of King Jesus. And last this morning, as we grasp the gospel with Zechariah, we must revel in the gifts that this gospel brings to us, to revel in these gifts that become so commonplace to us. Look at verse 77 and 78. Zechariah prophesies about the message that his son John will bring concerning Christ. We read in verse 77 that John is going to bring the knowledge of the salvation of God to the Lord's people. John the forerunner, the great herald of Christ, is going to speak of the saving grace of God. But what is the essence of that? Look at the latter half of verse 77. In the forgiveness of their sins. Here it is, dear ones. The joy-bringing and praise-inducing essence of the gospel. That our sins are washed. They are gone. They are put away. 
as far as the east is from the west, the north from the south, into the depths of the sea our sins have been washed. That God in Christ knows everything, absolutely everything about my heart and yours, my life, my deeds, my words, my innermost thoughts, and all of their wickedness. done. And yet he pours out the life blood of his son for the likes of us. That's the beauty of Zechariah's prophecy. The lines from several of our beautiful hymns capture this incalculable kindness. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I had my annual physical recently. And the phlebotomist stuck the needle in my arm and took the first vial, and then she took a second vial, and then she took a third vial, and I began to wonder, is she going to stop? <laughs> Drawn from Emmanuel's veins until it had all been poured out on our behalf. This fountain... Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. As you come to this sanctuary this morning and to this Christmas season, have you been plunged before this fountain filled with blood? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, verse 78 tells us the remarkable place from which that ocean of forgiving love comes. Look at it with me. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, I want to submit to you that there it is in all of its beauty. This is one of the hardest things for the sinful human soul. Indeed, it's impossible, apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, working faith in our hearts, to believe that Almighty God is tender, that Almighty God is full of mercy, and that this tender mercy of the Almighty God is mine. Mine. Immovably and eternally mine. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can write that upon the soul. Oh, dear ones, we need to awaken again this morning to this cathedral of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that is meant to dominate every nanosecond of time and every cubic centimeter of our lives. May God make it so.